We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following, following the following is a journey into comics. Journey into comics. It's a journey into comics. It's a journey into comics. Journey into comics. Journey into comics. Network. 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 Production. Production. Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred five. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey Into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's Journey Into Comics 268. I am your host, Nate. Today joining me, welcome back once again. He is the Galactus of podcast co-hosts, the biggest in the fucking universe. He's coming to eat your world, motherfuckers. Welcome back to the show once again, Tyler. Hello there. How's it going? It's good. We just we just recorded another podcast right before this, which was fantastic. It felt good. It was very had a lot of lubric lubricity. Ooh, lubricity is a dope word. I, I love it. I almost had an aneurysm saying it. So uh, you were like lubricity. How would you feel? Let me let me just ask you this. How would sure. you, how would you feel if like three or four years down the line, like we're just sitting somewhere, okay? Like just just picture you. I like sitting. Just picture you and I in a coffee shop somewhere, right? Like the smell of like nice roast coffee is in the air, and like yeah, we're just relaxed. There's some like elevator music in the background. There's some weird lady bitching about not having yep. pumpkin spice in. Fucking I hear it. Lady, it's June. There's no pumpkin spice in June. God damn it. Well, I saw on the internet that you guys are running a promotion for pumpkin spice lattes right now. Let it. Yeah, that was shared it, from 2017, bitch. Let it go. Let the pumpkin spice die. But anyway, so we're sitting there like on the little lounge couches and we're just we're sipping some coffee. And you look, you just glance over at me because something doesn't quite look right. I've got a new haircut, and like white fluid starts to leak from my ear. Okay, like like jizz. <laughs> I knew, I knew, <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. No, not jizz. Uh, like it, it's almost like the consistency of blood, but it's white. And I'm, I'm thinking like, so jizz. Like, like uh. You think back to Ash in the movie Alien, which, okay. when he gets hit with the pipe wrench, and then he turns around, and he's bleeding, but it's white, and then that's when you realize that he's he's an android for the first time. 
And then and then you realize yeah. after all that time, like I've been a I've been a fucking robot man. Time to be an android, not a man, my friend. So you wouldn't I don't know. you wouldn't acknowledge it at all? Like, okay, my man my man's bleeding white shit out of his ear. Uh time for another pumpkin okay. spice. So let's just let's just slow this down and and really we're gonna just tangent into this amazingly interesting start to our show. Uh, we're sitting there at the coffee shop. I can smell the coffee. There's a lady at the counter. She's bitching about the 2017 advertisement for the pumpkin spice latte in the middle of June. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Your haircut looks kind of like John Travolta from the. Uh, fanatic movie that he just did with fred durst okay. i don't know if you saw yep. what his, yep. his hair looks like in that so it's like it's kind of bizarre i'm like tyler what really bold choice cotton like i'm not sure why he decided to go that route all of a sudden i noticed that a jism like substance is <laughs> <laughs> is fluidous and coming out of your ear and i'm perturbed and then like maybe one of your eyes twitches to like in in such it's like a robot twitch and i learned that you're an android would i acknowledge it Yes, but my first question would be, how much weed have I smoked? <laughs> because that's the only thing I can think of, man, like, is that like... How fucking I stoned you, am I? Like, whoa, did I did I smoke too many moon rocks this afternoon? Is that what's happened? Did Snoop roll one too many nice J's for me oh, this afternoon? Shit. Speaking of that, Snoop Dogg has a professional joint roller. I saw that. Pays him 40 G's a year to roll weed eight hours a day every day. Yeah. Sign me up. Because that's how much he smokes, bro. I just picture Snoop, like, think like um, early 1900s Germany. Like, you've got... You've got fine tobacco, and you you roll all your own cigarettes, and it's in that little, like metallic cigarette case, you know. So you're so you're gotcha totally. So your blunts don't get smashed. Totally. Like got to protect them. Yep. Snoop Snoop's got that, but like it's fucking solid gold. Like gold member would make that shit. Yeah. No. I feel like I feel like that's like the small cash, right? And and the and and. What people don't see is like Snoop rolls up to a place and he's got like, it almost looks like one of the chests, the war chests you get from Borderlands. Yeah. This massive fucking chest and he like push it, beep, boop, bleep, boop, bloop. And it's like, yeah, I vibe and that. And then like all these like little fucking sub tiers are coming out. You've got like one tier that's all edibles, one tier that's all pre rolls. You got a whole like shatter area. And then he's just like... There's like a whole rack of dabs. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, you trying to smoke this weed? And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. But he's in yes. he's, he's in like a fucking velour suit with a pimp cane. Yeah, in 9 in the morning. <laughs> he's got alli- I'm saying, alligator boots on. I'm sold. I'd be like, yes, absolutely, Snoop. Would you like me to also get out the Super Nintendo? Because I think that would be fun right now, too. <laughs> you know, like, like let's play some fucking uh, Super Mario Kart or some shit. Let me ask you this. Get, on, on another, okay, on, ask on, away. Another quick tangent here. How many, how many times do you think Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg have gotten stoned together? 
I have, an, I have a more better question. How many times has that led to them having sex? Oh, probably all of them. No, like I, I don't know about all of them. Listen, listen. Okay, <laughs> let's 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 be let's just be a little bit real here. First of all, I think Snoop has some morals. Also, I cannot confirm or deny what Snoop's marital status is, and I don't want to just believe he's a player like that. That's a little bit presumptuous of me. Also, maybe Martha Stewart ain't a whore like that. I don't know. I'm not sure what her vibe is. I also don't know if she's married. So these all these like possibilities, but I feel like that they have a legit kindred spirit. Like they're real actual friends that like it seems like it should be oil and water, but it's like fucking icing and sprinkles. Like it's just happiness on top of happiness, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause you know, listen, over anything else, Martha Stewart is not uh what's that Tekateshi six nine guy. Oh, Takashi Six Nine, yeah. Yeah, she ain't a little snitch. Martha Stewart's a thug. She is a thug, man, and that's why I think that that I think that at least one time, I think at least one time, Snoop Snoop gave it to her. Like Snoop was like, "Listen, I need to know <laughs> on a real level because you already like the baddest bitch I know. You went to prison and and like just like did your time and kept quiet and just like made peace with it and came out even stronger on the other side, like." Of course, he had to have like like multiple experiences. Ah, depends on how that first one went, man. You know, if he took a dip in the Strawberry River and had a good time, he's probably going back to the well. I'm just saying. I like never, never in my life did I think at like 11 p.m. on a Sunday night. Would I be sitting (laughs) recording a podcast talking about Snoop and Martha Stewart fucking getting it on? Like, like Snoop, like Snoop and Martha are fucking knocking boots and like in the kitchen, Snoop's, Snoop's man's rolling blunts because he can't ever stop. And fucking Martha's got like a sous chef fucking just cooking a feast. Secretly, it's Paula Dean. Yes, it's fucking Paula Dean. That's penance for all the fucked up shit she said in her life. <laughs> she has to cook for Martha and Snoop. It's an extra slap in the face because it's an interracial relationship. <laughs> Paula Dean is really mad at that. Put, put some more butter on that shit, Paula. Dean. Butter makes everything better. Oh, fuck. Wow, what a way to start an episode. That is Tangent City 101, expert level, uh, and we might have just unlocked Eternal Mode. I think so. So, anyways. So, what's been good in your world, T.Y., man? Like, what's up with you? Uh, man, I I, talk, I saw Tool last night, which was incredible. Uh, my birthday was last week, so I'm another year older. Happy birthday, Thank officially you. on the show. I ate, I ate too much cake, and so here's a here's a quick little story. So I I go Bring it out. I go to the the mart, I go to the Walmart. Okay, I don't like to go to Walmart. I do everything in my power not to shop at Walmart. Uh, I will go out of my way to shop at another store before I shop at Walmart. But I'm in there, and I'm in there just for some candy. I want some fucking Reese's pumpkins, okay? 
just little it's that time of year, bro. Little nuggets and 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 the pumpkins and the Christmas trees and the eggs, they're all better than better than than regular Reese's cups. Because they have the old school feel and flavor. Yep. So I'm I'm hunting around and I'm not I I just cannot find fucking Reese's pumpkins. They didn't have they didn't have any at all in the entire store. So I'm, how's that? I, I I don't know, man. It's Walmart, so it makes sense. So like I'm defeated. I'm wandering away, <clears throat> and Skylar comes up behind me and slaps something down in the cart. It's a Reese's product. They're not pumpkins. They're white chocolate ghosts. Uh, what? Okay. Have you ever had Reese's white chocolate? No, no I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. I do. I do recall having it, a Reese's white chocolate. It's incredible. Yeah, it is actually very good. So she she plops down this bag of Reese's white chocolate ghosts in the cart. And I was like, ah, okay, you know. They're not the pumpkins, but they'll do. Uh, it was the best Reese's chocolate product I have ever had. Ever. Damn, that is a bold statement. And she bought me, she went to Target yesterday while I was at uh, work. And she bought me a bag of Reese's pumpkins. So I had a few of those. Hell yes. I had a few of those pumpkins today in celebration of going and seeing Tool last night on my recuperation day here. Recovery day. And they still weren't as good as the ghosts, my man. It's interesting you say that because today, my friend, uh, I did what all good parental units and figures do. I. Took a bullet for the kid and ate some of the candy just to make sure that the teeth don't go rotten. Well, you don't want their teeth to rot. You don't want them to get a bellyache. Sugar rush, go Sh- crazy. Sugar rush, maybe have an aneurysm. Like you're, you're, you're going out of your way to take one for the team. You have to, man. I'm sorry, but like, I look and I see this massive, surprisingly massive bag of Halloween candy that Ollie has procured. And I'm like, you know what, I'll go through it and I'll look and I'll see if there's any goodies that I really want or anything that he's got like 18 of that's not going to, you know, depress him if it's not there. And he had like, somebody had given him like several full-sized Reese's cups. Fuck yeah. The two, the two packers. And I was like, you know what, I have not had one of these in like a year. And in celebration of the food is good and other such things bracket tournament that broke down to Reese's peanut butter cups winning mm-hmm. the whole fucking thing, I thought I'll have I'll have one of these, man. And uh, so this morning I was sitting there chilling and uh, I ate one, and I was not impressed. I actually was like, oh, I kind of don't like this. They're not as good as they and used then, to be. Exactly. But then I saw in his bag he had. Something I remember from my childhood that I loved even more during Halloween, which was the individually wrapped little cups. Mm -hmm. You know, the little bells. So I grabbed up one of those and I was like, oh, I'm going to smash this. It's going to be so good. It was even worse. And I think that one was, I think that one was actually maybe because the person who gave that away might have had that candy from last year. (laughs) It it might have tasted a bit stale. So look, I took one for the team. The kid didn't have to eat the stale candy. I did. That's right. 
I still enjoyed it. It was all right. Peanut M and M's are good. Reese's has changed their packaging and and all kinds of stuff the last couple of years, and it's just not as good as it used to be. But you hit the nail on the head. All the seasonal offerings from Reese's are a little bit more akin to what we were used to. You know, it and, and I don't. It was a huge blow to society when when Nestle. Uh, and Ferrero Rocher fucked up Butterfingers. I'm still pissed off about it. Not going to let it go. But Great I w- travesty of 2019. But I will tell you this. If you get a Lunchable that has the, the little like the little snack-sized Butterfingers, it almost tastes like an original one. That's awesome. Almost. Like, it, it's close. But the, the tech... What's... The, the the chocolate still tastes fucking weird, man. So let's get into Butterfingers for a second, actually. I'm glad you brought that up because last night coming home from the gig, you know, it's like interesting in the morning to drive home last night because, first of all, we are an hour ahead because we're in your guys' neck of the woods where the time in the same state changes. Right. Uh, which is confusing in and of itself. Northwest Indiana firmly believing it is Chicago, so therefore we have their time, uh, their uh, time zone. Uh, so we, we're already contending with that. We leave the show. It's like one o'clock. We start driving. At two o'clock, it becomes one o'clock again, mm-hmm. and we go through the whole cycle again. Then we finally got home at like almost 3 o'clock in the morning this morning, ultimately when it was all said and done. But when we were on our way, we stopped at one of the gas stations in DeMott, Indiana. And I noticed that all of the uh, Butterfingers, dude, all of them don't have the new and improved recipe logo on them anymore. Okay. I think they're trying to fake people out. Because I almost bought one, dude. Finger was on the trigger. I grabbed it because I was like, oh, my God, they have old school butter. You motherfuckers are trying to trick me. Mm-hmm. They just took the new and improved little triangle off, and it made me think that it was the old one. That's shitty. Yeah. Bastards. Not a fan of it at all. You know, uh, all we, we, go ahead. We've, we've talked a lot the last month, month and a half about how like how refreshing and like like how well the the fan base is receiving the kind of the rebirth of X-Men and like like that that's good but like with with Butterfinger like why you got to take why you got to take a good thing and make it bad it's interesting because i think they have altruistic reasons man because if you look at Ferrero Rocher's game plan, they took all the shit that was unhealthy and was killing us and giving us cancer or whatever that's in the Butterfingers. Not to say that Butterfingers gives you cancer. That's not like some sort of... Uh, no, don't get that conspiracy theory started, but uh, they, don't want to hear that on fucking InfoWars. They probably do uh, as fucking nasty as they are now. Well, but that's what I'm saying. That's the trick. I'm certain that I read that Ferrero Rocher put all natural ingredients in the new Butterfingers. That it is with none of the additive shit that the old Butterfingers had. They tried to make a version that's healthier, essentially. 
the problem is, is that in making it healthier, you made it taste like ass. And the texture's wrong. I don't, see, that's, like, I don't get why you would change the way the chocolate tastes. Like, they didn't make the chocolate taste better. They made the chocolate taste worse. Like, the the texture I might be able to get by if the chocolate tastes the same. But, like, the, the, the fucking chocolate don't even taste the same now. That's That's what really pissed me off. I agree. I think that they fumbled the fucking ball on Butterfingers. We've been saying it all 2019. We're not going to let it go. I am just heartbroken, man. It was my candy of my youth. And I honestly believe that if Butterfingers were the still the original Butterfinger, it would have won the tournament. Yeah, maybe. I think it had a better shot, but I think people were like, no, new Butterfingers taste like ass. Ugh. Anyways, you know, you said it, man, and I think we should just jump right in. Uh, we've kind of tangented around the first 20 minutes of the show or whatnot, which I love. Just opening it up, not giving a fuck. Like, let's talk about whatever we want to talk about for a minute, God damn it. Uh, but let's also cover and keep our continued coverage of the House of X, Powers of X series. We are not doing a double feature this week, folks, so do not look for both uh, issues to be here this week. We're only doing the one. What one are we doing? We're doing House of X 5. We're almost caught up. Just about there. I'm so stoked. What did you think about this issue, bro? I liked it. It, it was a little bit short. Um, I mean, I, I, I think... A lo- like the precedent that they set in every book up until this one. I mean, it's obviously content packed, and 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 it's 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 not lacking in story. Um, you know, you and I talked a little bit pre-show how this episode's a good one tonight to do tonight because it's you know the the it's mostly dossier sheets realistically, um, so. Just a little bit short. I mean, that's really my only complaint. I think the the art and kind of some of the message that they're that they're trying to get through um, with this series really, really comes to the forefront in the in this this uh, uh, this book. If I can if I can say the simple word book, you're okay. <laughs> you got it. It took me a while, but I got there. Um, like there, there's some some artwork that I really want to point out and highlight as we get there. I don't, I don't know, um, just as far as angles and the way things were drawn, I really appreciated it. And it really, like there are moments of really heightened tension, and then the way some of the characters are portrayed in in panels after that, you can see that it's almost a sigh of relief. And I really, I really appreciate the art in this. In this issue. Yeah, the art is beautiful. Uh, One thing to mention I think that's really worth noting is that this is the issue that takes all the stakes that we've been worried about and considering and what's going to happen. And, oh, my God, I can't believe they 
sacrificed X, Y, or Z mutant. Uh, ultimately, we look here and go, oh, shit. All of that was because they knew they had an out. And I'll, and I'll say this, too, you know, as far as the art goes, you know, we talked about covers kind of <clears throat> at length last week. This is my favorite cover of the series so far. Absolutely agree. I think it's absolutely uh, understated but beautiful. Uh, you've got a sunset behind Apocalypse kind of wading through the marsh, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, uh, what that conveys to me when I look at that that cover, and, and I want, of course, your take on this, but like when I look at it, my first thought is he's kind of sullen. His head is down. He isn't walking with pride. His shoulders are kind of slouched. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he is uh, reluctantly admitting it's time to go home. Yeah. That's that's everything that I was going to say. Like, oh. I mean, with as much that a cover can kind of give you if you if you know you're just kind of perusing the comic book section and you see this, you're not you're like, "Oh, what's up with Apocalypse? Is he in his emo phase? Like what the shit?" Emo Apocalypse. But uh do you want to know the real difference between them and us? Until now, we were never given a chance. Opening dossier sheet, Professor Xavier. I love that quote. Until now, we were never given a chance. No chance to thrive. No chance to just live. No chance to see if maybe we are the superior race and, and species. Uh, mutant kind, that is. Did I lose you? Nope, I'm still here. Okay, it just it got like insanely pin drop quiet. I was not expecting that. That was crazy. Uh, so you know we get into Krakoa, and we 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 start to learn that, like I said, Charles really had a plan this whole time. Uh, there are five mutants, and they can kind of use their powers and come together and in doing so create what's the word you used it was a good word a husk husk perfect create a husk where they can then take what we've already learned Charles is trying to do by imprinting all the memories of all mutants at all time and saving the data and whatnot they can take all that data that we've stored and saved up and put them back into the mutant and essentially rebirth every mutant. Well, and, and, and this issue um, does a really good job of answering some questions that you and I had early in the series. There's a lot of imagery that you see. Um, you've got Xavier standing basically almost at the base of Krakoa, and you have those eggs with with Scott and Gene and that artwork of, of, of them reaching up to him and him interacting with them. You know, we saw that early, early on in the, in the series and now we know what it's all about. I mean, it's not, 
it's not Xavier in some far future, like, you know, essentially these are clones, just with all of the, the, the actual person's memories. So it's like they were never gone. So not only does it answer the question of what does some of this artwork that we saw earlier on in the series, but it also explains how, you know, in the last two issues, how Xavier could be so calm knowing the sacrifice that, that the team to go to Mother Mold were, you know, inevitably would have to make. You know, he was cool, calm, and collected the whole time. The Xavier that we that that has has been um, portrayed at least in this series so far, you know, it's a little bit more brash at times, a little bit kind of carries himself in a little bit different way than we're used to. Now it all makes sense. He's laser focused because he's like I said, he's almost figured out a way around. Like he has the fountain of youth for mutants per se. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the, and the go ahead. No, 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 you please go ahead. And one of the things that really um, struck me, if I can find the actual panel here. Um, Let me keep scrolling. Okay, so we get a scene where Xavier and Magneto are basically like, while there's a rally happening in the background, you know, they're kind of standing off to the side. Um, and, and Magneto's kind of uncomfortable with with everything that's going on. And Xavier is not necessarily, like, talking him down off of a ledge, but he's trying to justify what they're doing to Magneto in the in this situation, kind of everything that they've put in, put in place, the plan that's in motion... And normally, you know, that's one of the things that that you and I have said that we love so much about this series is the roles of Xavier and Magneto get reversed and flipped so often. You see the 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 two main or two the two most important characters in in all of X-Men with Magneto and Xavier, you see them portraying each other. So in in this page here, <clears throat> You've got Xavier saying, over the years, man has killed millions of us, and so many remain lost, but this is the good work, Eric. And uh, Magneto says, and it must continue until Genosha is spoken of, not as a grave, but as a crucible. So, like, you know, issue after issue, we hear about these mutant massacres, and, you know, Genosha gets brought up a lot, and... Magneto, you know, he flips roles again and goes back to himself, and he's like, we cannot afford to stop doing this until all of those events are an afterthought. So this this issue does a really good job of tying up a lot of loose threads, you know, and it, it just it makes the series, at least as everything that's happening present day, make a little bit more sense we're starting to see where everything is going. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we started the series, if we kind of like take a little bit of a quick step back, you get the kind of the Moira story, where everything's going. We get a lot of through the powers of X, the jumping around in the timelines and what's to come, 
what has happened, what will happen, what is always intended to happen. And we're building towards this beautiful moment here. And it's kind of cool because you see, like, it's almost like, uh, what's the word? Utopia. You have all the mutants are finally in one space, happily together. They are celebrating each other. Things are kind of coming together. They're all chanting, you know, all about for the mutant powers. Uh, you know, but before we get super deep into that, I'm going to take a minute. And uh, if unless you wanted to read this and, and we can take turns or however you want to do it. I do think it is very important we explain the whole like resurrection process. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Uh, so I'll start it. Like I said, jump in when you feel, if you feel, how you feel, how you want me to, how you feel. Uh, all right. So the genetic base. Mr. Sinister has an extensive repository of mutant genetic material that he has carefully assembled in recent years. In it, he has the DNA of almost every known mutant on the planet Earth, carefully constructed with the help of Xavier. These are the biological building blocks of each specific mutant. Their physical makeup along with what their power is. Without this, we have nothing. A little side note, they say. The library, which began as a sole biological, as solely as biological samples, has now been converted to holographic sequencing. And while all current mutant modifications have been limited to optimal aging, it is believed that in the future, designer modifications will be possible. So what's what's really nice about this sheet is it explains what the hell is going on that we're seeing in the issue, but it also explains the meeting that we had last issue between um, Xavier. Uh, Magneto and Mr. Sinister. So now that's all starting to make sense. Correct. Why Why did they say for you to sit still until we're ready to do the good work? Mm -hmm. What is that good work? It was just referenced here in this issue yet again. And we're back. Right. Uh, the You want me to go ahead with the host? Sure. In the process all of right. mutant resurrection, the genetic base is introduced into organic matter and a mutant husk is created. And while this is not the essence of who or what any mutant is, it is the essential component, component, not compound, component that makes mutant resurrection possible. As traditional cloning procedures capable of creating a replicant shell grow in real time, any product of temporal growth is susceptible to change uh, to change agents slash variations. All right. The process of mutant resurrection kind of goes like this. And as I said just a few minutes ago, it does involve five specific mutants. We'll break them down uh, and talk about them. So a group of five mutants work in conjunction to produce a biological husk. They are Fabio Medina, known as Gold Balls. Uh, his power is, as a mutant, he is capable of producing a limitless amount of unviable biological eggs. Initially, when he debuted, they were not biological eggs. I love that they've evolved his story and gave him a cooler power mm -hmm. than just throwing gold balls because it is kind of lame. Uh, Kevin McTaggart, also known as Proteus is a mutant capable of warping reality and transforming an unviable egg into a viable one. So he's going to take this egg from Golden Balls, make it viable that it can carry life. Mm -hmm. 
Josh Foley, also known as Elixir, a mutant capable of biologically kick-starting the process of life, initializing cell replication and husk growth. Boom. Your uh, clones have a process with which they can be replicated consistently. Eva Bell, also known as Tempest, a mutant capable of tempor of temporally maturing a husk to a desired age. So immediately they don't have to wait for the husk to grow up. Boom. She puts it at 27 years old. That's how old Scott was. He was 27. Boom. Mm -hmm. He's still 27. Nothing changed. Last but not least, Hope Summers. A mutant capable of enhancing and synergizing the other resurrection mutant powers to ensure the success of each resurrection. So they all so essentially the next page is saying that all of them have to work together and then in Proteus's case his power puts such a toll on his body that he constantly has to have a shell to inhabit because like if he does multiple a day basically he dies every day. So he's kind of one of the many they re replicate constantly. Mm -hmm. Man. And then it explains uh, it explains how Xavier has modified Cerebro to actually store consciousness. And then, you know, earlier in the issues, it's referenced cradles at times. And that's where... Basically, the collective mutant consciousness is located in these these cradles, just in case Cerebro were to <clears throat> malfunction or something bad happened to it. And I actually feel like they, at some point, mentioned or will mention, hopefully this isn't a spoiler, how there are multiple backups. Mm -hmm. Other backups, just... Backups of backups of backups. Because you never know, man. There could be an attack where they people try to take out. Because, you know, and that's an interesting thing to note, too, about the whole thing with Resurrection 2 is if any humans have witnessed any of these mutant deaths, they're reporting on them as if they were dead. Right. Like, the end. Uh, but that means that the mutant population is in flux in a way that you actually can't see because sure mutants are dying but they're also being replaced em like eminently right so that's an interesting thing to talk about uh let's talk about scale here initially the capabilities on Krakoa topped down at around a thousand mutants a week or 200 a day uh now it's 10,000 or 100,000 and growing and the power population of mutants on Earth is just under 1 million. The deceased population of mutants on Earth is still over 16 million, primarily from Genosha. At the rate of resurrection, it would take around 300 years to bring back everyone who died, let alone address the depowered mutants and any that might die in the interim time period. However, as the resurrection machine has become more unified and better at being what they are and doing what they do... It's estimated that capabilities could possibly reach around 30,000 a week, and full Genosian resurrection can be achieved in 10 years. The complication here is that Xavier would have to download Resurrect 6,000 minds a day. 
which he is not capable of. By that time, there will need to be a workaround or a team of telepaths trained to properly use Cerebro. Damn. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're trying to pump those numbers up. And, I mean, I love the dossier sheets in this because, again, instead of it being relegated to little bubbles of dialogue that you have to kind of ingest and assume they are going here is exactly how this shit works. Like you will not tell us that we didn't think about how this is going to work in Canon motherfuckers. It's our story. We're doing it right. So note extensive testing has shown that the mutant resurrection machine, the five is not operating under duress or fatigue or even massive exertion. It appears that the more they do this, the stronger they become and the easier the process becomes. The experience has been described by all five as incredibly blissful, uh, not in a narcotized kind of way, but in a manner more akin to total fulfillment. Additionally, these five mutants appear to have become an inseparable family unit and are almost never apart from one another. Their symbolic process appears to have extended beyond the union of their powers and to the mutants themselves. Some of this could be psychological, as one Krakoa, as on Krakoa they are universally revered, not as celebrities, something achieved through works, but as cultural paragons, something sacred to be treasured. So down at the bottom, we've got the, the actual resurrection protocol. It says, currently, mutant resurrection takes around 48 hours, 12-hour uh, gestational period, and 30 to 42 hours to mature the egg. However, because of fears regarding duplication and other general questions of morality, unless an actual death has been documented, someone believed to be dead cannot be resurrected until their death has been confirmed or they have been undetectable by Cerebro for one month. It is expected that sooner rather than later, a mutant organization will be tasked with investigating mutant missing persons and suspected deaths and murders so as to confirm uh, when the resurrection process should begin. It is also expected that should force conventions become necessary, their extra special mandate would supersede normal resurrection protocols. And then we roll right into... Um, basically Emma Frost and the team securing uh, Krakoa as a nation, which is really big. Uh, you know, we caught a little bit of that a couple issues ago. Absolutely. Uh, interesting, I want to mention uh, that before, before we get too further along here, thinking about the resurrection protocol, interesting that they have, like, Thoughts on not just resurrecting someone willy nilly, mm -hmm. because my first thought is, yeah, does that take their brain out of their current body? Right. Or are there now two of them? Is that how Bar Sinister happened? Like, I have so many questions. Uh, but yes, I love that they thought well enough as as writers to put in a scene where they went and fought for Krakoa, man. In like a political uh, retrospect or aspect. Totally. Uh, we also have another dossier sheet. As we said, there's several dossier sheets in this issue uh, talking about mutant diplomacy. 
saying all current mutant diplomacy and the future security and sovereignty of Krakoa is dependent on relationships with human nations centering on their need for mutant pharmaceuticals and their Krakoan ability to meet them. More than 100 nations have accepted a trade deal with Krakoa, and while negotiations are ongoing with most of the world's remaining nations, some have rejected Krakoan overtures. Nations that have rejected a trade treaty with Krakoa are considered to be naturally, advers- naturally adversarial. A list of those nations is as follows. So the important thing, I think, to take away from this, and, the, and they highlight it so obviously you understand it, but they break down um, each continent and the nations on that continent that have rejected um, basically uh, Krakoan diplomacy. So Iran, Madripoor, and North Korea all said no. Latveria and Russia said no. Brazil, Santa Marco, and Terra, Terra Verde and Venezuela all said no. In Central America, Honduras said no. And then Africa's the big one because Wakanda, uh, Azania, Canaan, and Kenya all said no. But Wakanda's reason is they do not need mutant drugs. And then everyone else in Africa that said no... They're a part of the Wakandan Economic Protectorate. So they didn't have a choice. They had to say no. Well, yeah, I mean, considering they have the heart-shaped herb and different, I mean, uh, vibranium in their in their world, they don't need... Their, their level of health is different, you know? Mm-hmm. They're totally self-sufficient so, anyway. Exactly, and they're trying to make Africa kind of their own entire thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Wakanda at the kind of new forefront. I love that they throw Latveria in there. It all makes sense, all the people that said no. I mean, obviously, they do show a map, which is really cool. Well, it's it, it, it does a good job of putting it in perspective, too, because, like, um, you know, as far as the continent of Africa goes... The portion that said no, you know, where Wakanda and then those nations are, is very, very small. If you look at South America, the portion of South America that said no is almost half of the, the continent. Because those, side. those countries are all so large. And then Asia, basically 50-50 of Asia said no. And then, I mean, um, the rest of the the rest of the capitalist world essentially all said yes. I mean, money, money, money. Right. And the need to ensure that your people are going to be able to sustain longer lives. Mm -hmm. We uh, go ahead and we kick ourselves back to Krakoa two days later. You know, Wolverine is unsure, talking to Charles and uh, Eric about what's coming, which uh, takes us back to the cover of the book, bro. And so this is the scene that I was trying to do my best not to spoil and, 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 and foreshadow. You know, you've got Wolverine standing alone, essentially, in front of all of these portals into Krakoa. He knows what's coming, and like normal, he's the one willing to stand at the front and take, um, you know, take any challenge head on. Um, and then you get three, the, the following page, you get three incredible panels of different groups of mutants arriving 
you know, the top one, you've got Mr. Sinister. Uh, who we got in the middle panel there, Nate? Oh, man, that's that guy from uh, earlier in the series. We saw this dude. Why can I not think of his fucking name? It's like a basic ass name, too. God damn it. Uh, I couldn't remember no. his name either. That's why I asked you. Uh, let me see. You keep keep chatting it up. I'm going to see if I can find this. So so the important takeaways, at least from this page, are you've got Mr. Sinister at the top. So now his story arc's kind of coming full circle. Even if he didn't want to be a part of Krakoa, the involvement that he had making it happen with this genetic database, essentially, he's kind of got to go hang out there because he's now like... Um, He's not a um, you know expendable asset. He's he's a he's a pretty high priority asset. And then the bottom panel is fucking apocalypse coming home. You know his he's still not standing proud, but his head's a little bit higher. Um, you know, in the the following page is is everyone you know basically standing at the ready just in case apocalypse tries something. Apocalypse explains that, you know, he, he explains a little bit of the backstory that we got from the last issue on the origins of Krakoa and, and you know, how inevitably he, he or ultimately he was the one who um, put the work in because Krakoa wouldn't exist if, if it wasn't for him and, and life on Earth wouldn't exist if it wasn't for him. So the important takeaway is that Xavier... In the final scene of the issue, um, he stands proud and shakes hand with Apocalypse, and and they are one people now and no longer fractured. Which, which this is the other side of that artwork that I was talking about. You've got Apocalypse towering over, you know, frail little Xavier, and the sun is coming through the treetops of Krakoa, and the only dialogue on the page is "Welcome home." Pretty powerful yes. stuff. Absolutely. Uh, the final dossier, if you are us, then be with us. Come home, uh, Magneto. Uh, I did find who that was in the center panel back uh, when this all first started breaking out, coming through the portals. That's Exodus. Oh, yeah. And Exodus will find himself in a very interesting predicament later in this series, which we're almost done with. I mean, we really only have three issues left, yep. which is going to time out nicely because we'll be able to kind of, you know, maybe a, we can do a three for next week and just do all three as, as a one, one off, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because the last two issues have a lot of, a lot of similar panels to discuss. They kind of do a lot of art sharing and deeper building of the story. Uh, Perfect. But we have some time because I don't think until the middle of this month or the end of this month is issue two of X-Men. So we'll be nearing and gearing to catch up to that. There's a lot of other awesome comics that are coming out. Uh, out of ten, man, what do you give this guy? I mean, the last time we talked, you gave one of the two issues we discussed a perfect score. Uh, I, I think it's... it's um... You know, it's kind of par for the course for the rest of the series. It's a solid eight, eight and a half all day. Um, 
you know, I can't get over how some of these panels are drawn just as far as from perspective, you know, the, the scene or at least the, the, um, the page where apocalypse walks through the portal, you know, it's drawn in a way that you like, you know, apocalypse is like damn near eight feet tall. So the way that that bottom panel is drawn is almost like you're looking up at apocalypse, even though it's at the bottom of the page. So the perspectives that they took um, and the viewpoints that they drew things from, I really appreciated it. The dossier sheets are, are um, you know, everything that we have hyped up and said from issue to issue, they're 100% necessary because, I mean, think about how hard to understand some of this, this series would be if we didn't have these dossier sheets. We'd just be like, what the hell is going on? You know, and, and the symbolism, one thing that we didn't touch on is, you know, we get everyone that that sacrificed themselves on Mother Mold, they get a re- resurrected, and you get one page of Storm basically being the, um, you know, almost being the hype man for this group of people because the team that went to Mother Mold are... You know, they're everything that, that mutant kind should aspire to be. And they also look like they're about to drop the, the hottest, nudist um, album of, of 2019. But, th- but they the hottest go... hottest, nudist album of 2019. Hell yeah. But, you know, the next couple of pages is Storm, um, you know, expositioning with each individual mutant. And, you know, she has this rallying cry of everyone else on Krakoa standing behind this team of people like they are a family. And just the symbolism and and every, I feel like everything that they set out to do in this issue, wrapping up loose ends, giving us a little bit, a, little, a handful of breadcrumbs uh, to keep us interested for, for the next three issues... I th- I think it's all solid, and I I wouldn't there. You know, the last couple you and I have both said, well, we might tweak this here, uh, we might put in a little bit more information here, take a little bit out here. Um, you know, it it it's just a solid, uh, no, really no qualms from my point of view issue. I think it's one of those issues where it wraps nicely. It gives you. Some closure, like, okay, we definitely had this, like, all hope is lost. What the fuck are the mutants going to be if everyone is dead? You know, they made it such a big deal that we were down to, like, the last few. And then killed them all. And then unkilled them all. And it now sets up for the end game and what's to come. We need to still figure out what's up with Moira's story. What's its importance there? You know, uh, why do we keep seeing all these different timelines and what's going to come of all those different timelines and whatnot? Uh, I think that overall, I really, really enjoy the art. It is There are some really cool, like, symbolic moments in the art. Uh, I think you articulated that very nicely. Uh, I would say 7.5, yeah, out out of 10. I think that's fair. Maybe like an eight, just because I really liked the art. 
Yeah, I think that's totally fair. All right, well, I'm going to uh I'm going to tangent derail the fuck out of this train. Hey, Tyler. Go ahead. Uh since the last time we talked, you got something juicy for your birthday. Uh, I got a couple juicy things for my birthday. I'm not talking about anything you physically received though. Oh, well, I don't know. That. I'm talk I'm talking about a juicy teaser for something we are eight short days away from. Oh, man, that Mandalorian trailer. Yes, sir. Wow. It, it, I mean, I, I, won't, I won't gush on it too much because I've already done it so much on the show, and, and anyone, anyone who has ears or the ability to intake this content at all is going to hear me do do it week in week out um over the next 6 months that trailer for the mandalorian bias aside folks take take all of my personal bias and throw it in the trash is one of the most well edited well put together and well done trailers of any show i have ever seen Made you want to go watch it, didn't it? So one of the things that I think is most important with The Mandalorian, especially with Favreau's involvement, is what, you know, let's let's ignore The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker for a minute. Everything that fans have wanted for Star Wars... At, at least right now in the in in the 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 fandom it, it, as as it were we want more movies like road 1 and we're oh, about yeah. to get a feature length tv show that's gritty and realistic and it's not about a jedi or someone who you know has a major dealing with Luke Skywalker and that's incredible. And I think that, you know, much, much along the same lines as everything that we've already said about the show. And we haven't even seen it yet, but I, I really feel like from everything that we've seen between the teaser, some of the, the, the screenshots of, of stuff on set the things that Favreau and Taika Waititi and all the people that were guest directors on the show. I feel like, I mean, these people really deserve some recognition and, and a round of applause for lack of a better descriptor. Um, Cause this, this looks, I mean, this looks like one of the, the most well done TV productions I've ever seen. Well done TV production best looking star wars i've seen in a minute like felt gritty and old school and put me back in tatooine even though i don't think we're on tatooine at all like one thing i loved about the trailer is it leaves kind of more questions than answers yeah the the inquisitiveness of yourself goes oh my god what are they gonna do 
Well, there's there's just so much to look forward to. I mean, you get some battle scenes, and you know this guy is obviously going to be a force to be reckoned with. And and I I've seen some some fans complaining. Well, are we ever going to see the Mandalorian? Are we ever going to see Pedro Pascal without his helmet? I don't I don't really care about that right now. That that is that is one hundred percent the least of my worries. I hope he doesn't ever take his helmet off in the first season. You know, let that be like almost an after credits at the end of the first season and then and then we can get I, I, I don't want this whole first season to be trying to get at the man underneath the armor. I just want to see everything on the surface in the first season. You know, the guy is walking out of a bar taking blaster shots from stormtroopers and just, you know, just blasting them back. You know, he's got a guy grappling hooked, dragging him through a door. He shoots him. All right, fuck you. You want to play this game? Get shot. You know? Like, it It just, it looks fucking good, man. Uh, I think... I think you hit the nail on the head talking about not showing Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian in the first season. And I think that can be a really great plot device because as a fan, and I'm going to do some reverse psychology kind of, you know, if you watch a show like The Flash or Arrow or Gotham or whatever the fuck it is, they don't give you the nice, fully realized costume in the first jump you know, right out the gate. Right. Here, it's a little bit of the reverse. We're going to give you the awesome costume. We're going to give you what you love to look at. We know you love how Boba looks and how Django looked. We know the Mandalorian's going to hit hit all the right notes. And we're going to leave this mystery of who is the man behind the mask. And I think that until there's a moment where the Mandalorian has a moment to quote-unquote rest... We should never see his helmet off. Perfect. And I think, like you said, after credit, it's him. You know, he's sitting down in whatever his ship is going to be, the Slave 7 or whatever. Uh, You know, he uh, sits down. He takes a breather. His helmet comes off. It pans over. You know, it's his face, but it's kind of got some deformities. It's kind of scarred up. Then you're like, oh, what's that story? What's that about? You know, why is that happening? And that could set up a big bad for the second season or whatever the fuck you want to do. Right. Because at that point, we're in, man. Like, signed, sealed, delivered. We're yours, motherfucker. I'm just, lo- I'm just looking up real quick because I thought I saw the other day the actual name of the ship. Oh, nice. Uh, While I'm talking about that, one of the the things that I really, really love, this came came out all the way back in April, but the Mandalorian used practical miniature ships shot like the original Star Wars trilogy. That's incredible. So they're they're paying homage to the original trilogy. (coughs) Excuse me. For what this original for what the original trilogy did for modern special effects and they shot it that way and that's that's fucking fantastic man uh the ship is called the razor's crest okay so he's chilling at the razor's crest takes the fucking helmet off he's all deformed and shit makes me want to know more Mm -hmm. did he spend a thousand years in the sarlacc pit 
Does he know Boba Fett? Is he friends with Jango Fett? Mm-hmm. All this and more on this Mandalorian life. Well, and I think, um, you know, with him, with this archetypal character that we have of the Mandalorian, you know, he's the bounty hunter, he's the gunfighter. I feel like I'm almost watching, you know, a 60s spaghetti western and instead of a sci-fi um man in armor, it's Clint Eastwood with his uh you know, the poncho over his shoulder. Um that that's the vibe that I get from this character and I think I remember reading an article from from uh, or an interview with Pedro Pascal that when he was getting kind of in character that's what he drew a lot of. That's what him and, and Favreau drew a lot of inspiration from was uh, Clint Eastwood and all the the westerns that he did in the uh, you know the late '60s through all the way through the '70s. Because if you think about like if you were going to describe the the stereotypical outlaw or gunfighter. Most people, the first man or the first, uh, the first character at least that you would think of would be the man with no name from the good and the bad and the ugly. I mean, that that's that just. It, I mean, it goes without saying. Like, if you're not drawing the parallels from that character, then you know you're 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 looking into it too deep. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Man, uh, I love that comparison. Clint Eastwood style, man with no name-esque, fucking good, the bad, and the ugly. And and taking it and going, look, it's a space spaghetti western. That's awesome. Right. But not a spaghetti western, because I don't think it was really a spaghetti western. But I just like saying spaghetti western. It's, it's a very interesting genre in in cinema. It was it was a it was a weird time. It really was. Here's a bit of trivia for you. Okay. Do you know there's a movie named before a famous comic book character that starred Clint Eastwood and in his first, I think, official Hollywood role, or maybe one of his first, I don't know if it was his first first, a very young Jim Carrey. Mm. And the movie was called The Deadpool. Oh, yeah, I have seen that. And Jim Carrey plays like a version of Axl Rose, kind of. Yeah. Because he like pantomimes Welcome to the Jungle and some shit. So that kind of gives you a time frame of when it actually came out. Like 1990, I think, is like right on the cusp or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like he, he allegedly ODs in his uh, trailer, but he was murdered. And it's like that's the whole mystery. And Gotcha. It's pretty interesting. I think if, if folks uh, are into that kind of thing, they'd fucking dig that shit for sure. But Yeah. Man. I'm looking forward to The Mandalorian, bro. I can't wait to cover it on the show and talk about it ad nauseum. Uh, get ready, folks, because, um, man. 
I mean, it might only be one hour episodes, but we might talk for six on them. I, I, I'm looking at like, like promotional art and like movie poster type type draw-ups for the show. And like in the original teaser we got when that bar door opened up and it was just him standing, you know, with his kind of cape or poncho blowing in the wind. I mean, oh. that that is Clint Eastwood all day. Fuck yeah. Or Marty McFly. Or Marty McFly. Could be. I um, mean... Well, I mean, you, you kind of ruined it there, but... <laughs> Sorry, I liked Back to the Future 3. I don't give a shit. I like all of them. I actually liked 3 more than I liked the second one. Well, I mean, 3 has a nicer story and is not so fucking depressing. 2 is a really depressing story. Yeah. It's like, hey, Marty, you know all the bad shit you were worried about? Yeah, it's going to be bad and so much more. Huh. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Biff's your daddy. Because he killed your daddy. Mm. <laughs> and on that note, Matt, 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 Matt. But yeah, I, I'm really excited. Um,. You know, I I checked. I actually checked this morning just to make sure that my Disney Plus stuff was all in line. Um, so yeah, on on release day, I'll be ready and waiting. Mm-hmm. An extra. Oh, I I don't remember the lube word you used. Lubricity. Lubricity. Yeah, look at you. So the only bad you. the only bad thing about the the day that Disney Plus drops is I have class that night. No. I do, I do. So as long as it's not a dick kicker of a class, like I'm going to get home and that's the first thing that I'm going to do is watch <laughs> watch this show. Well, make sure you mute dick on that day. Yeah. He'll spoil it for you. I know. <laughs> Love you, Dick. Mm. Just, Mm-mm-mm. just saying. Oh man, that sucks that you're gonna have to be in class before you get a shot at it. But it'll be worth it, man. It'll make the day like give you something to anticipate going home for. You know. Oh yeah. Like, sit down, veg out, watch the Mandalorian, and hit Nate up 4,306 times about all of our thoughts and theories on just one episode. Yeah, be ready. Oh, it's on. (laughs) Much like a group of mutants, it's coming. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, Do you think the Fiverr click? Like, are are they in a thing? I, I, the way that I read that was like, yeah. Cool. Good for them. I don't know how five people in a relationship would work, per se, but if they can make it work, fucking have at it, man. In the words of uh, that dude from Liar Liar, the more the merrier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was Jim Carrey, by the way. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I said that dude, because for some reason I was trying to think of the character's name. Which I think was Fletcher, but again, I'm, I'm not 100%. It's time to go to bed, Nate. All right, folks, let's take it home, <laughs> man. All right. 
Fuck. You guys will hear more of this, but earlier in the night, that's time travel and confusing. Thursday, podcast fee. Fucking check it out. Get it on their feed. Get it on our feed. Same shit. Just different presentation, I guess. Uh, get us on iTunes. Pod. It's not iTunes anymore, motherfucker. It's Apple Music. Slash Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast, that's right. Get us on Apple Podcast. Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, CastBox, Spotify, TuneIn, and many others. Just search Journey into Comics Network. Also, like Tyler said, sometime, maybe last week, maybe last episode we did, it's late in the night, we've done a couple of these now, so my <laughs> brain is a little frazzled. But make sure to go on our iTunes and give us a review. Five stars, four stars. Don't. Please don't give us a three star below. Well, and I mean, if if there's something that that you don't like about the show, reach out to us, and 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 we'll do, um, we'll do what we can to make it better. I mean, we we don't have this nailed down to a science. Um, I mean, I feel like Nate and I do do a pretty good job of, of providing you guys good and 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 relevant content from week to week. But if there's something that that you you think that we're not we're not getting in all the right places, uh, we can't have the tools to fix those unless you, as a listener, let us know. So leave us a review or or send us some feedback because we appreciate it either way. Fuck yeah, man! Well said. And also make sure to email us at journeyintocomicspodcast at gmail We really do take questions, comments, complaints, concerns, confusions, corn. I like corn. I'll eat it, and I'll also ingest the CDs of the band Corn, all the different C's and K's. Anyways, folks, I think that's gonna do this for this week's episode of Journey into Comics. It's been Journey into Comics 268, the hottest nudist album of 2019. <laughs> I have been Nate. I've been Tyler. And as always, folks, pop your caps back. And fill your brains with lubricity. Later, guys. <laughs>